Good morning. It is an absolutely beautiful Lord's Day to be together. And we are thankful that we can be together here this morning. The good temperature we've been thankful for for several days, as well, absolutely, for several days in a row of no rain. We're thankful for that. I think the good temperature makes it a little easier to get out of bed on Sunday morning than want to stay in bed in the dreary weather. But it also makes us want to get out and enjoy that weather. But we're thankful that you've chosen to be here with us this morning as we want to study together for just a few moments from God's Word. To our visitors, or excuse me, to our members, we're thankful as always that you're here with us this day. But especially to our visitors, you are an honored guest, and we're thankful that you have chosen to be here with us this morning. You may have gotten a visitor's card that you can fill out, whether you're passing through or maybe looking for a church home. We're thankful that you're here with us this morning. And if you have any questions about anything that you observe or see or any questions at all, please don't leave without giving us a chance to answer those. We've had several good Sundays and several good weeks in a row here. We've had several baptisms. We've had at least one person place membership. We've installed a new elder to help shepherd our congregation. And even today, we hope that you ladies will be back again this afternoon uh, from 2 to 4 for the baby shower. We're thankful for Jessica and Tanner and for their coming our way. Um, and we're thankful as well that uh, Jessica's brother Logan and her mom Susan could be with us this morning as well. And we look forward to honoring them and those babies as they get here. We're not trying to rush it. We need them to stay in a little bit longer. And I know that uh, they covet your prayers and we want to continue to lift them up. I have not confirmed, but I believe there may be a sign-up sheet at the shower for who gets to hold the babies during the worship service, okay? I know that's a hot topic around here. I see all you guys. And uh, everyone's going to want to hold those babies, but we want to pray uh, that everything will go well for Jessica and those babies in the next few months. And we're thankful for the time that we can have together today. We're always glad every time we can be here, but I'm especially glad that you're here this morning because we're discussing the greatest topic in the history of the world, and that is salvation. Now, before you get your hopes up, and I see some of you, this is the usual last slide before the sermon's over, okay? I want to beat everyone to the restaurants, too. But if my sermon was only two minutes and 20 seconds long, okay, that's not going to cut it. So this is not the end of the sermon, although this is our usual last slide. But we're going to take a look and talk about that this morning. If you were with us last week, we took a look at God's scheme of redemption. That is God's plan for saving mankind. We went all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden and saw where sin entered the world by Adam and by Eve and by sin, death. And from that point forward, man has stood in need of redemption. In a general sense, we noticed how from the days of Abram or Abraham, God required specific animal sacrifices. These sacrifices, along with the blood that was shed, would serve as an atonement or an offering, if you will, on behalf of the people to God. And this was the system. This was the way that he set up for his people to be acceptable to him. And then last week we looked at some passages from the book of Hebrews, specifically because the book of Hebrews, the theme of Hebrews, is better. And in the book of Hebrews, the old covenant, the book of Hebrews tells us that the old covenant served a purpose and for a specific period of time, but there was a better covenant. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 4 says that the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. There was a need for a better sacrifice, the once for all time sacrifice that could take away the sins of the world. And what's great for us today is that it's done. 
I mean, it's finished. We're not having to wait. We're not having to look off to some time in the future and wait for that to happen. It's been done. Jesus came to this earth and he shed his sinless blood on the cross of Calvary. It's one of the most well-known stories, really, in all the world. But unfortunately for many people, that's where it stops. It's a story. It's like some far-off event in the long ago, and it doesn't mean much. But today, friends and brethren, it means everything. It means everything. Our question today, and maybe you have a bulletin in front of you where you can follow along with the outline, but our question for today is, what must I do to be saved? And that has everything to do with the cross. What our Savior suffered on that terrible but also great day changed the world. Again, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22 said that without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness. So a person says, that's great, preacher. That's wonderful. But what does it mean for me? What does it have to do with me? Jesus died on the cross, but, but how can I be saved? And I would submit this morning that, that I think, and maybe you would agree, if Jesus did die on that terrible cross, if he was willing to suffer such a death, don't you think that he would leave for us the instructions for what to do? Our goal is to be acceptable to God just as he has desired of his people for thousands of years. Well, how do we do that? Well, sometimes what we refer to what the Bible has to say about these matters as the plan of salvation or the steps of salvation. Maybe you can recall a time when you were, as we say down here in the South, knee high to a grasshopper. And you had one of those uh, little old ladies that taught your Bible class that you thought was ancient. And maybe she stepped off the ark with Noah. And, and maybe she looked that way and she was older. But maybe together in class you would hold up your hand or she would hold up her hand and you would tick off five steps of salvation. That sweet teacher wasn't wrong. But maybe at the same time, that little memory device that we would use doesn't tell everything. Maybe there's more that we can look at. And that's what we want to examine together this morning. The first thing that we're going to look at is that we usually mention is to hear. A person says, hear what? Well, a person has to hear the gospel. No one can be saved unless they hear the good news of Jesus. We don't have time to go through the entire thought process this morning, but you would agree that we are free moral agents. We have the ability to choose. God doesn't just randomly select us and poof, make us Christians. We have a chance to choose, and that begins with hearing. Now, one of the things that I want us to do this morning, and that's why the slide was on the screen first, is to look at the passages that are listed on this final slide. You know, I want you to understand that I don't put it up there just for the fun of it. I put it up there because it means something. I've told you as well before, you're welcome to take one of my business cards. They're on my desk. On the back of it, you will find this particular slide, this particular information that you're welcome to take, keep in your Bible, hand out to folks as you meet them, because you'll find this information that you can share. So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, because first of all, Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you're going to have faith, and by the way, you must have faith. Again, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So you've got to have faith, but if you're going to have faith, 
than it comes by hearing the word of God. But also notice in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. He who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how can they call if they've not believed? And then how can they believe if they've not heard? We may sometimes dismiss this first step or this first part because it seems kind of obvious. But number one, God doesn't just make saved people at random. Uh, We just said that, but you would agree that, that God doesn't just make us that way. So a person has to hear. But number two, a person could refuse to hear. Maybe you know someone like that in your family who doesn't want to hear the truth. Maybe you've been that way before. Do you remember what happened to Stephen in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 57? Before they murder Stephen, before they take his life, after he's preached this lesson, the Bible says they stopped their ears. And we picture little children sticking their fingers in the ears and saying, no, 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 I can't hear you. But that's essentially what they were doing to Stephen when they heard the gospel of Christ. And if we're being real honest... That's what we do a lot of times too. But see, you know, I don't stick my fingers in my ears. No, maybe not. But you turn your back or you give the cold shoulder or you just simply shut down and refuse to hear anymore. A person must hear the word of God, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second thing this morning, though, that a person must do is believe. For many people, especially those who've never studied the Bible or who maybe have never attended the services of the church, they ask the simple question, just like, what do I have to hear? Well, what do I have to believe? The answer is the same in this case. Believe the gospel of Christ. Let's look first at a real life example. If you were in Acts chapter 7, look in Acts chapter 8. Let's look at someone who was a real person who was seeking maybe the same thing that you're here seeking this morning. In Acts chapter 8, a man by the name of Philip is instructed by an angel of the Lord to travel south. And along the way, Philip meets an Ethiopian eunuch or an Ethiopian nobleman. The man is reading, this particular man is reading what was probably a Greek translation of a scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Philip takes the opportunity, and the scripture says, to preach unto him Jesus which results after the preaching of Jesus and this nobleman asking, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip tells him that he may be baptized if he believes. And this treasurer from Ethiopia makes this great statement in verse number 37. I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God, so that, was, that must be one thing that we need to believe, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But notice another passage. Again, go back to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, this time verses 9 and 10 there. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Paul says here that you will be saved. Really, Paul? Well, then how would I be saved? And he says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, now set that aside for a moment, we're going to come back, and believe. Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So you have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but you must also believe in his death burial, 
and resurrection. Many people believe that Jesus lived. Many people believe that Jesus lived and died and then naturally he would have been buried. But it's the power of his resurrection. It's the rising from the grave. It's the conquering of the death that gives us the power. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and actually verses 14 through 19, 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 19, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We must believe that he died, was buried, and rose again. Now again, the verse on our slide. If you've got your Bibles, you might look in John chapter 8 and verse number 24. John chapter 8 and verse number 24. Jesus said to those who are gathered around, If you do not believe, if you do not believe, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. An interesting note, especially considering what we've been studying, but you may notice in the Bible possibly that you're using that the word he is in italics in your Bible, which means that it wasn't in the original text, but it was added by the translators for clarification purposes. So it could read here, Jesus saying, if you do not believe that I am. They're asking Jesus here, who are you? He says that he is the same as the I am. Well, what I am is that? Well, if you've been here for the last month, we've been looking at the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14 is the specific place where, Jesus, or where God uses that name, the I am, the I am. And Jesus says, I am God. You must believe that I am the Son of God. Most people would agree, though, that belief in and of itself is not enough. In fact, a large number of people, if we were to go out here through the town of Saudi Daisy and stop and poll people, a large number of people might say that they believe that Jesus was real and lived on the earth. But what are you going to do with that? What step might you take next? Because if you believe it, that's wonderful. But if you're willing to act on it, then you're willing to take the next step in what God has told us to do to be saved. As we come to the third thing that's listed on our slide, usually at the end of our lesson, it might be good here if we take a moment to clarify as you're taking these notes. Sometimes there is confusion when we talk about this plan of salvation, and it can appear that what we're saying is if a person, that all a person has to do is all five of these things in about the span of 20 minutes, and then that's it in order to be saved. But sometimes as we journey through this life, we are at different points on this process. I ask his permission, but I can use our newest conversion to Christ, our newest addition, Brandon Sneed, to help illustrate this point here. You see, Brandon had heard hundreds of sermons over the last few years in attending church services. And as we sat down and we talked about what he needed to do to become a Christian, there was no doubt that Brandon had heard the gospel. And he would look me in the face and say, there's no doubt that he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But Brandon had been holding there for a long while. And so too many of us, we hear and we believe, but we kind of hold in that holding pattern for just a while. And so it is that one of the hardest things for people to do is to repent of their sins. 
I think, first of all, because that includes within it the admitting that I'm a sinner, the admitting that I've made mistakes and that I need something to make me whole. The idea in the Bible of repentance actually involves three things that we're going to talk about this morning. The first thing is that there is a change of mind, as you see here on the slide. If you've got your Bibles, look in Matthew chapter 21, first of all. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus begins talking and he's sharing something in Matthew 21, beginning in verse number 28. Matthew 21, beginning in verse number 28. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go and work in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. So there's regret used here. Now, if you've got the old King James Bible in front of you, there may be the word repent. What did this young man do? Well, first of all, he told his dad he was not going to do what he asked him to do. Now, for most of us, that might have resulted in a whipping or, you know, maybe a slap upside the head. But he told his dad, I'm not going. And then later he repented or he changed his mind. So repentance is a changing of the mind or a changing of our thinking. But secondly, there is godly sorrow. Turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10. Paul here writing to those in Corinth says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Our topic for the morning. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So first of all, there's a changing of your mind. Secondly, there is a godly sorrow. But then thirdly, this morning, there's a change of life. As in, I can change my mind, but it will show in my life. Let me give it to you another way. If I repent of stealing, then I will change my mind not to do that anymore, but I will allow that to change my life and to change my action, and I will stop stealing. That is true repentance. We notice in Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 17 and verse number 30 that he says, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands, but God now commands all men everywhere to repent. They needed to change their mind and they needed to change their life. Let's go back again to our slide. Luke chapter 13 and verse number three. In context, there are some folks who share with Jesus a terrible tragedy. These people come to Jesus and they share this terrible tragedy where Pilate had murdered some Galilean Jews who had come to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices. And Jesus takes this time to answer a commonly held thought. Do you remember the so-called friends of Job? Jesus takes this time to answer a, so, a commonly held thought that those who suffer must be evil. Jesus says, of course, that is certainly most not the case. But he is saying that when tragedy strikes, we must be prepared. And the only way that we can be prepared is to repent. Because if that tragedy involves the loss of physical life, then we must be prepared so that we do not have to endure the second death or the loss of an eternal reward. But like those of us who are parents sometimes do, 
And it makes our kids really mad when we do it. But Jesus sort of does it here. He gets down to the nitty-gritty. No more discussion. What's the bottom line? And he says, repent or perish. That's it. Those are your choices. Repent or perish. We can discuss it all day long. You can give all your excuses. We can talk about why. But your choice is to repent or perish. You may not like it, but those are your choices. Change your mind and let it change your life. So that you don't have to endure an eternal punishment. But then we come to the fourth step on this journey. Now again, we take a moment to be sure that there is no confusion. Many times when people in the world hear the idea of confession, they think of what we might call the Catholic idea of confession. That is to say that you go before someone and you tell them or confess your sin. And by the way, here's a good place to put in a plug for next Sunday's sermon. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about what a Christian should do, what a saved person should do when they sin again after being saved. And that would involve confession of sin or telling God of the sin that's in your life. But back to our point this morning, confession is something that the Bible says we must plainly do. Maybe a better way to say it, to explain its necessity, is to say that after you hear the gospel, you must believe what you've heard. But once you believe the gospel, you must want to change your mind or repent. And logically, the next step would be that I would want to confess what I believe, what I've heard. Look again at Romans 10, 9 and 10. And this is our verse that is on our slide. So hear what it says and see why it might be helpful to use to help share with a person why confession is important. Verse 10 clearly says that with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So we know that confession must be made. But is it really that important? Well, let's listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men... Him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Last week we talked about the idea of a lawyer and Jesus being our advocate or our lawyer going before the heavenly judge. And here he says it. He makes the promise that if you will confess, I will go to the Father on your behalf. But again, let's go back to our real world example, Acts chapter 8. We talked about it and touched on it just a moment ago. But in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 36... The Ethiopian nobleman, after hearing about Jesus, hearing the gospel of Christ, asks this question. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip tells him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. We've touched on that. And then this man who had heard of Jesus makes this good confession of what he has heard and now believed. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It seems like such a simple statement. It seems like such an easy thing. And you might say, well, anyone could say that. I suppose that's true. But think about that statement. Think about the ramifications. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that He is God, then you will hear what He says. And if you hear what He says, then you will want to obey it. And to obey Christ is to change your life. It's to live according to His words. To say the words might be easy, but to live the words means your whole life. 
So we come to the last thing on our slide here. Excuse me. And what's interesting is of all the things that we've heard so far, there's not really much debate among those who claim to follow the Bible. Lots of our denominational friends have no problem believing or repenting. But when it comes to baptism, we sometimes have a hang-up. We could obviously spend several sermons on this topic, but let's try to touch a few points as we near the end of our lesson this morning. Our question for the morning has been, what must I do to be saved? Well, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2 on that beautiful Pentecost day, as Peter and the 11 others stand before the assembled crowd, they preach what we sometimes call the first gospel sermon. This sermon discusses Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And when Peter declares unto them in the middle or at the end of that sermon, their guilt, their sin, their part in crucifying the Son of God, they ask a very similar question. In verse number 37, they cry out, What shall we do? What shall we do because of this sin? What shall we do to be saved from this sin? And Peter says in verse number 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see down in verse number 41 that those who gladly received the word, his word, were baptized. Again, the words of Jesus, Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 and verses 15 and 16. You want to know what to do to be saved? Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Sounds simple enough to me. Another real life example. This time from the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22, Paul has actually been arrested. And before he's carried off, he requests to speak with the angry mob that is surrounding him. And when he is given the opportunity to speak to this angry mob, and the crowd is silent all around him. Part of what he shares is his story of his conversion. He tells them of the road to Damascus and his meeting of Ananias and the words that Ananias shared with him on that occasion, which included in Acts chapter 22 in verse number 16, And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Baptism is where we come in contact with the blood of Christ that can wash away our sins. Baptism is a death, burial, and resurrection of sorts, just as Jesus went through. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 12, Paul says that we are buried with him in baptism, and which we are also raised with him. Baptism saves us. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 21, there is also now an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Nine times in the book of Acts, we see someone or some group of people converted. Nine times we see baptism given as a part of this process. I realize this chart may be hard to see. It's actually the second column from the right that we're looking at in this particular situation. Nine times we see someone or some people converted. And nine times we see baptism given as a part of the process. Nine times it is specifically mentioned. Baptism is absolutely necessary for salvation. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Now, 
So is believing. So is repenting. And so is confessing. And it's why we spent time looking at all of these steps that a person must do in order to be saved. And as our slide says, just as the Lord did on that day, on that Pentecost day in Acts chapter 2, He will do for us as He will add us to His church. Just as He did on Pentecost day in Acts chapter 2. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Using your hands is a nice little memory device until you'd realize you need a sixth finger or a sixth appendage. Because for a saved person, life doesn't end at salvation. First of all, after we are baptized and added to the church, a person must begin to grow, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to continue to learn and mature, spiritually speaking. But also, a person must continue to be faithful to God. Some people would have you believe that once you are saved, then you are saved for all time. But you don't read of that anywhere on the pages of the Bible. The picture that is painted by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 21 and 22 is that there are a group of people who had known the way of righteousness, but had turned from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And Peter says, listen to the words of Peter. Peter says that it is so important, that it is so serious, that it would have been better for them to have never known the truth, to have never known the gospel, than to know it and to turn their back on it. It is possible to be unfaithful to God. It is possible to turn your back on Him. But it is possible as well to be faithful. It is possible to go back to the way of sinning that you knew before, even after you're baptized for the remission of your sins. But God desires faithfulness, and that we can do. It is only when we are faithful up until the point of death here on this earth that we can then receive the crown of life, as Jesus tells the church at Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10. There's a lot of information to consume here in about 30 minutes. But you will notice that our slide says that it is God's simple plan of salvation. In reading and hearing and following, it really is simple. But what it means is that we have to make a change. What we have to give up may be a little bit of a different story. Friends, understand one thing this morning. This is what the Bible says a person has to do to be saved. And it is only the saved who will be with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for all eternity. That's what the Bible says. If you're here this morning and you have more questions, then please give us a chance to sit down and discuss it with you. Maybe today, maybe not, but as soon as we could, we'd be willing to open a Bible and to look together at what the Bible says. It is that important. Two great questions from the passages we've already looked at to conclude our thoughts. The Ethiopian nobleman said, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? And the answer this morning is the same answer it was on that day. Nothing. Nothing hinders you from being baptized. If you will believe with all your heart, then you can. The second question was the one posed by Ananias to Saul that we read about in Acts chapter 22. And only, only Paul could answer that question to Ananias. This morning it's posed to you, and only you can answer that question. Why are you waiting? 
Why might you put off doing what the Bible says we need to do to be saved? Be baptized and wash away your sins. We will be singing together to encourage you. Won't you come as we stand and as we sing?